second lesson today about God's attributes. Remember, we started last week by saying we are not studying God's character qualities. We're not studying his traits. Um, we are studying his attributes. If we are trying to find out what God is like, then we must look to see uh, not how he compares to us, uh, because if we were looking for character qualities or traits, then that would indicate that they could be learned, that they uh, can be grown into, uh, that they could be forgotten, uh, that they can increase or decrease or change. But because God has attributes, the things that belong to him, that are inherent in him, that he has, and that's who he is, and they are unchanging. Um, that's what we have to learn. And uh, again, much of what we understand, or what we're going to try to understand over the next few weeks uh, about uh, God can only come um, really as we understand what he is not. And let me explain that. Uh, because like we said last week, we are never fully going to grasp or understand who he is or what he is truly like. That's impossible for us because uh, it's God and we are human. Uh, and so we have to understand, uh, we, have to, we have to try to connect with the things that we can comprehend and anything that we can understand or comprehend or wrap our minds around is not who God is. Uh, we said that uh, last week that the, the writers in scripture as they tried to describe God, whether it's John here in Revelation or in the Old Testament, the psalmist, when they try to describe who God is or what he's like, then they have to use the language of comparison. God is like this, or he's similar to this, or he is as something, uh, not exactly what God is, but something uh, that we can at least understand a little bit uh, to try to get insight on who God is. And, and remember, we said last week that we don't want to understand God completely. Uh, we, want, we don't want to have a God that we can completely wrap our minds around. Uh, we don't want to, uh, to have a God who, uh, that we can comprehend completely. Uh, we want a God who is bigger than our understanding. We want a God who is far beyond anything that we can comprehend because that's a God that can meet all of our needs, even the ones that we don't know how to provide for. That's a God that can answer all of our questions, even though uh, we don't know the answers. And that's the kind of God we need. Uh, and so as we're trying to understand God, uh, it's important that we establish in what we know and can comprehend what he is not. Because that's what we can understand, uh, what he has passed and above and beyond. So today, uh, we're going to look at the first uh, attribute of God in our study, and that's going to be his eternality. And we're going to jump right into to things today. Uh, God's eternality, or the, the eternity, the attribute of God uh, of his eternity, uh, means that God has no beginning or ending. He is not a created being and is not subject to to the limitations of time. And so uh, as we go through this today, I'm, I'm going to be really making this just more of a Bible study uh, because, again, there's no other way that we're going to be able to understand or comprehend this without looking at what God has revealed to us in Scripture. And uh, so uh, we're going to go through this and, and uh, learn from the Bible what and how he has revealed himself to us and uh, go from there. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll pray and uh, then we'll get started today. Father, we just ask that you please meet with us in this time. Lord, we're thankful for uh, the answers to prayer that we rejoiced in just a few minutes ago. And Lord, we ask that you'd be with those requests that we've, uh, we've brought to you. And that, Father, uh, we ask that you please, uh, Lord, meet those in a way that only you know how and and only that, uh, that, that, that you can 
uh, provide an answer. And Father, I pray that you please, uh, in this time and in this, this uh, setting, that you please speak to us uh, from your word. God, show us who you are. Uh, Lord, as we prayed last week and have been praying all this week, give us a heart to know you. And Father, I just pray that you open our hearts and our minds, our understanding, let it be enlightened from your word today uh, to just catch a glimpse of who you really are. Father, we pray that you'd be with the services that will follow today, that you'd be honored and glorified, and then everything that we do, that you would receive the praise and glory we ask this in your name. Amen. So hold your place in Revelation chapter 1. We'll come back to that verse in just a few moments, but I want to start at the beginning of the Bible and go to Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Because if we're to understand God's eternality, we need to look at the very first place that it is displayed in Scripture. In the very first place that we find God's eternality displayed is Genesis 1.1. Look at Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And what's so important about this is, as Genesis 1-1 is the first verse in the beginning of the record of Scripture, it's also the beginning of the record of time. It's also the beginning of the record of history. It's the beginning of record of human, the human race and, and life as we know it, and it assumes that God existed before that moment took place. Look what it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He was already there. In the beginning, God, he was already present. In the beginning, God, he already existed, and he was the one that created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Genesis 1-1 assumes the existence of God before its record. Genesis 1-1 is the beginning of time and space as we know it, and God was already there. Someone said this, an old-time preacher said, when the lights came on, God was there to flip the switch. And God's eternality is that he was there at the beginning of time. And that's Genesis 1-1. But not just that. Uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Because as we, as we continue on, we see this truth of God existing at the beginning of time. or already being there before it happened. Uh, spoken of throughout scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Look at verse number 27. Moses is blessing the tribes of Israel before he dies here, and he's going through all of them. But in verse number 27, we get a description of God and, a, and, and another revelation into this attribute of his eternality. Verse 27, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Um, that word eternal there, describing God, uh, refers to the fact that he was there at the beginning or at the start. Um, and, and even past that, from before when our eyes can see and our minds can conceive. You know, if, if you've ever been in maybe the Midwest and you've looked across an open prairie, um, or maybe you've been in the Southwest and you've looked across the desert, or... or something that's a little bit more uh, easy for us to understand. You Maybe you've been out in the Gulf or the ocean and you look out across the water and as far as your eye can see, there's a point where you can't see past that. There's always a point and it, it keeps on going. You know that the desert keeps going or you know the prairie keeps going or you know the ocean keeps going. And as we look in time, there's a point that we can't see. There's a point past not in time, but a point past time before Genesis 1-1, and God exists 
in that point. He exists past that point. God is present where we can't see. He was there when faith became reality, and he exists when reality becomes faith again. Now, as we're thinking about this fact that God exists before time itself, and again, this is, this is a truth, and, and this is just the beginning as we try to understand and comprehend God. And as I've studied this, there have been many moments where my brain has short-circuited and I have blown a fuse. And there's going to be many of those because we're just not made to comprehend God. But this is truth, and we must accept it and believe it by faith. And so let me give you a truth when it comes to understanding God being eternal. Because he is eternal, listen... Everything that he is and does is everlasting. Everything that he is and does is everlasting. Uh, listen, his all-sufficient grace has always been there, and it always will be. Uh, his overwhelming sacrificial love has always been there, and it always will be. God's love didn't start on Calvary. John 3.16 is not the start of God's love. It has existed as long as God has. It's always been there, and it always will be. His sovereign majesty and his oversight over his creation has always been there and always will be. His delivering and providing power has always been there, and it always build, will be. And as we read a verse like verse number uh, 27, the eternal God, who has always been there and always will be, is your refuge is thy refuge. The comfort to take in an eternal God as our refuge. There's no fear of him not being there as he is. The motivation that that ought to produce in us is to stay faithful to him. The eternal God existing before we can ever see. Psalm 90 talks about that. Go to uh, Psalm 90. Psalm chapter number 90. And look at verse number 1. Psalm chapter number 90 and look at verse number 1. This is, we, we just read Deuteronomy. Moses is blessing the tribes. Uh, Moses actually writes Psalm 90. If your Bible's like mine, you see it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And so this is not David, not one of the other writers of the book of Psalms. This is Moses writing this psalm. And this is, this is similar to what he spoke at the end of, uh, uh, of the, uh, the, the Exodus as they're... Uh, Rejoicing over being delivered from Pharaoh after the Red Sea. And so this is where this comes from. And so look at Psalm 90. Look at verse number 1. It says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all, in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Boy, I love that verse. From everlasting to to everlasting, thou art God. If we're to, to define from everlasting to everlasting, literally as it's written here in, in the Hebrew, it means, I think it's in your handout, from vanishing point to vanishing point. From vanishing point to vanishing point. From one point that we can't see to another point that we will never see. The writer uh, A.W. Tozer said this, The mind looks backward in time till the dim past vanishes, then turns and looks into the future till thought and imagination collapses from exhaustion, and God is at both points unaffected by the other. 
God's at both points. You know, those of you that have studied geometry, you know your simple geometric shapes and, and uh, terms, and you know that a line in geometry is a line of points that extends infinitely in both directions, and it never ends. And that's very simply who God is. Uh, and, but but the, the one thing, and that's, that's amazing, you know, from everlasting to everlasting, from vanishing point to vanishing point, that's wonderful. But look how he describes it at the end of verse 2. From everlasting, from one vanishing point to everlasting, the other vanishing point, thou art God. You are God. For the entire existence from one vanishing point to the other. Not that God has just existed and he travels a long time like we do, but for the entire time of that line of infinity, God exists. He is God for that whole entire time. Uh, assuming the existence of God is that entire line from before we can see or comprehend to well after our gaze fails to make out a horizon, God is for that entire plane of existence. God exists above time and space. And while we can only inhabit a limited space at a certain time, you can only inhabit, as much as we joke and want to clone ourselves uh, and, and make multiple of ourselves and wish that we could do many things, the only time and space that you can inhabit is right here and right now. You are not somewhere else right here, right now. You are not in tomorrow right now. You are here and right now, but God can exist in all space and all time continuously because neither one of those things apply to him. Uh, we read Genesis 1-1 just a minute ago. In the beginning, that's the start. That's the, the beginning, the, the, the initiation of time, uh, the beginning of created existence. But because God never began to exist, it does not apply to him. Uh, began. It's a time word. And it has no meaning to the one who inhabits eternity. Uh, Isaiah 57, 15 uh, talks about God being the high, excuse me, and lofty one that inhabits eternity. Eternity is where God lives. That's who God is. He is synonymous with eternity. Uh, look at, you're in the book of Psalms. Look at Psalm chapter 102. Or yes, chapter 102. Psalm 102, and look at verse number 12. Because while we look past the beginning of time, we look before Genesis 1-1, and we know and we believe that God was already there and that there was not a beginning point. There was not a time where God has not existed. But we also can look ahead to the future and past all of the recorded history or time in the scriptures to where eternity begins and there is no end and we still see God there. Look at Psalm 102 and verse number 12. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever and thy remembrance unto all generations. The look ahead to God as opposed to the look past, it's still the same. There is no point where we see his end. Um, and, and I'll be honest. You know, as, as I've studied this and as maybe you sit there and you hear this, it is, it is hard to comprehend a God for which we see no beginning or ending, but just always has been and always is and always 
will be. But this is the God that we serve. 1 Timothy 1.17. Turn there with me, if you will. 1 Timothy 1.17. Paul gives all these descriptions about who God is in his eternal form. In verse 17, it says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And I love how he assigns God's being eternal to his kingship as well. And, and, and comparing that to, again, something we understand, uh, it produces the knowledge that he is the king who rules throughout the ages and contrast that to, to an earthly king or to an earthly ruler uh, who reign themselves only as long as they themselves are alive. You know, a king is only a king as long as he is alive. But because God is always alive, he is always a king, according to 1 Tim Timothy 17, uh, 117. And then look at Revelation 1.8, where we were going to start. And now we get to Revelation 1.8. And uh, I've enjoyed studying for on Wednesday nights. We're having our growth groups, and not to steal our announcements thunder afterwards, but uh, uh, come out Wednesday nights, and we've been talking about this past week. We started talking about Revelation, and uh, but look at verse number eight, chapter one. Familiar verse in God. We know this description of God, but look at it in this light. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That is the full description of the eternality of God. And it's interesting, and John is obviously writing in Greek, but it was custom for Hebrew writers, for scribes and for, for those that wrote in Hebrew, if they wanted to describe or, or, or indicate the whole of something, then they would use the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet to describe it. Uh, but because John is writing in Greek, he uses the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, alpha and omega, the entire whole. And using that language here is to denote eternity in the, in the being to whom it is applied. And because of that, we know that it can only be used in reference to the one true God. Uh, God is the beginning of all things. And he is the ending of all things. God was at the commencement and he'll be at the close. Uh, God has always existed and he will always exist. Um, and, and listen, God lives in an everlasting now. God has no past. God has no future. He exists in that plane of everlasting, of being eternal now. You know, when we read verses like this in, in Revelation where they refer to, to, to time at, in, as it applies to God, um, then, you know, they refer to our time, not his. Refer to our time, not his. You know, you read this verse in, in verse number 8, or you read it again, the same description in verse number 11, or you read it in Revelation 4 as the beasts stand around the throne and they're giving glory to God. Uh, they are identifying God with the flow of life in its three tenses, past, present, and future. And, and they should because this is inspired scripture, and so this is what God has revealed about himself to allow us to connect with him in our human minds but he is not himself affected by that process of change that we call time. 
He's not affected by that. God has no past. God has no present. God has no future. He is in eternity for the entire time. Uh, Listen to this. I think this is one of the statements there in your handout. Some of these things may be out of order, but God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. Listen, God has already lived all of your tomorrows as he has lived all of your yesterdays. God's already lived all of your tomorrows because he's already lived all of your yesterdays. Uh, the, the writer C.S. Lewis, again, going back to that, that line illustration, said if you were to take a sheet of paper and extend it infinitely in both directions to where that sheet of paper had no end, that would be God. And somewhere on that sheet of paper, in the middle of it, you were to draw a little line, maybe an inch or two long. That is time. That is all of time. And that little bit of time exists, it begins and ends on that infinite paper, so time begins and ends in the eternity of God. Um, and, and here's the thing, as we're, as we're trying to understand God being eternal, again, it's hard for us to understand because we are, we are constrained by time. We exist in time. That's all we see is time. That's all we know is time. We don't have enough time. Uh, We're running out of time. Uh, We waste our time. But God exists past and beyond time. And and I think maybe, at least for me, and maybe it's not for you, but it's, it's, you can comprehend to a degree that God was there when Genesis 1-1 starts everything. You can kind of, okay, God was there. He exists when time begins. And we, obviously, because we know that as we have trusted Christ, we have a soul that will live forever. We know we have eternal life and everlasting life, and we know God will be there. And so we can understand that it will continue on forever. But that God appears at the beginning and at the end simultaneously is much harder to grasp. But it's true. God, who always was, And at the same time, he always is. And at the same time, he always will be. Go to Psalm 102 again. Let me illustrate what I'm trying to say here. Psalm 102, look at verse number 27. Psalm 102, verse number 27. The Bible says, but thou art the same. And thy years shall have no end. Let me say this about the eternality of God, God being eternal. It demands that God be the same, that God exists for the entire time, because it demands that there is no change in the midst of eternity before and eternity after we know his time. There can be no change. For God to be eternal then he must be unchanging. For God to be eternal, he must be constant. For God to be eternal, he must be consistent. There can be no change. Because listen, if there was change or if God somehow fit into the mold of time even to some degree, then there would 
indicate, that would indicate that there would be change. And change would mean that God could be better or worse, that God could grow or lessen, that God could be stronger or grow weaker. But listen, God cannot change because all that God is and all that God will ever be is all that God is and all that God will ever be because there can never be any more of who God is. Now, that's a mouthful, but that's all that God is. Um, there cannot be any change. And, and God, we won't read it, but if you read Psalm 102, verses 23, uh, David talks about uh, the, 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 uh, the status of man. Verse 23, weaken my strength in the way he shortened my days. Uh, verse 25, of old thou hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish. But thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. There's change from weakness to strength and back again, from creation to destruction uh, to complete reconstruction and renewal. But listen, God has and never will experience any of that. Uh, what does he say uh, at the end of verse 27? Thy years shall have no end. There is not a point of completion with God where God is growing and increasing and becoming more and more like God. And finally, now we've reached the end. And now God is all that he has, uh, all that he will be. No, God is all that he is right now. He is endless. For God, everything that will happen has already happened because he's not constrained by present time. God being eternal. Now, let me say this, because what does this mean to us? That's. It's an amazing thing, and you can sit here and, you know, try to comprehend God being eternal all day long, and you need to because it's something that you can rejoice in, the fact that God is unchanging, that he exists uh, for that entire time, but what does it mean to us right now? You go back a few chapters in Psalm, to Psalm 90 again, because Moses, again, writing about God being eternal, everlasting to everlasting. And he comes down and he writes verse number 12. And he says, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In light of recognizing God being eternal, then we have got to look at ourselves on the other end of that spectrum and realize we're the complete opposite. We are very finite. We exist on that little bitty tiny line that's on that infinite sheet of paper. We exist in that. So what are we doing with that time? Moses said, don't let the knowledge of the fact that you are eternal be wasted on me. He says in verse number four, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night, verse number nine, uh, or, or excuse me, verse number uh, seven, for we are consumed by thine anger and by the wrath, are we troubled, thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, we fly away. The time that exists in our life 
is not on the same plane as God, but we still exist in that time. And so we need to examine the time that we do have and compare it to the eternity of God. There is no comparison. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, we won't take time to read it, but, but the uh, Solomon writing about the time for everything, a time to grow and a time to die and a time to, uh, to plant, the time to, to reap what's been planted and all of these different times that apply uh, to man, the limit of time and space. And the eternality of God is above and beyond all of that. He's not limited and not captive to those bounds, but exists in all of what we know as time as one. But listen, go to uh, James chapter 4. James chapter number 4. And look at verse number 13. James chapter 4, verse number 13 says, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. But that ye ought to say that the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that, but now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil." The life of man, our life, is nearly non-existent compared to the eternity of God. And as we examine the eternity of God and we compare it to the little bitty tiny span of life that we have, then it needs to lead us to come to several conclusions. First of all, our attempts to pursue certain things in this life are futile and empty if we're not attempting first to pursue the one who exists before and beyond when all of those things are gone. We've got to pursue the things that truly matter, the things that are eternal. What does uh, Colossians say? Set your affections on things above, on eternal things, not on things of the earth. Uh, we were just reading in, in 1 John on uh, Thursday night about loving not the world. Why? Because they pass away. It passes away. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not eternal. And then go to Matthew chapter number 6, and we'll finish here. Matthew chapter number 6. Look at verse number 25. When you look at God and you read verses like this, and you understand that he's eternal, that he exists for the entire span of time at the same time, before and after and all throughout right now, then you read verse 25 through 34, and it takes on a whole new meaning. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, for yet, uh, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. As we consider the fact that God is eternal, 
the comfort that exists in knowing that God does not exist in time as we do. He's not constrained by time. Therefore, he knows our needs before the time that they will even become a need. He knows what they are. Why? Because he already exists where that happens. Um, he knows our questions before we even ask them because he exists where they have already been answered. Knows your questions before you ask them because he already exists where they've been answered. And so verse 33 really I think is, if I can leave you with one thing, and as you think about God being eternal throughout this week, and I hope you will, then verse number 33 of Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's why that's so much more important. That's why that's so much important. If this God already knows all these things about us, then shouldn't we be trying to get to know him more? If he already knows what we need, well, let's get to know him instead of trying to figure that out for ourselves.